Dead Souls, Part 1, Chapter 3, Section 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For further information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dead Souls by Nikolai Vasilievich Gogol. Translated by D.J. Hogarth. Part 1, Chapter 3, Section 2. Let us return to our characters in real life. We have seen that, on this occasion, Chichikov decided to dispense with ceremony. Wherefore, taking up the teapot, he went on as follows. You have a nice little village here, madam. How many souls does it contain? A little less than eighty, dear sir. But the times are hard, and I have lost a great deal through last year's harvest having proved a failure. But your peasants look fine, strong fellows. May I inquire your name? Through arriving so late at night, I have quite lost my wits. Korobotchka, the widow of a collegiate secretary. I humbly thank you. And your Christian name and patronymic? Nastasia Petrovna. Nastasia Petrovna. Those are excellent names. I have a maternal aunt named like yourself. And your name? queried the lady. May I take it that you are a government assessor? No, madam, replied Chichikov with a smile. I am not an assessor, but a traveller on private business. Then you must be a buyer of produce. How I regret that I have sold my honey so cheaply to other buyers. Otherwise you might have bought it, dear sir. I never buy honey. Then what do you buy, pray? Hemp? I have a little of that by me, but not more than half a pood or so. No, madam, it is in other wares that I deal. Tell me, have you of late years lost many of your peasants by death? Yes, no fewer than eighteen, responded the old lady with a sigh. Such a fine lot, too, all good workers. True, others have since grown up, but of what use are they? Mere striplings. When the assessor called upon me, I could have wept. "'for though those workmen of mine are dead, "'I have to keep on paying for them "'as though they were still alive. "'And only last week my blacksmith got burnt to death. "'Such a clever hand at his trade he was. "'What? A fire occurred at your place?' "'No, no, God preserve us all. "'It was not so bad as that. "'You must understand that the blacksmith set himself on fire. "'He got set on fire in his bowels through over-drinking.' Yes, all of a sudden there burst from him a blue flame, and he smouldered and smouldered, until he had turned as black as a piece of charcoal. Yet what a clever blacksmith he was! And now I have no horses to drive out with, for there is no one to shoe them. In everything the will of God, madam, said Chichikov with a sigh. Against the divine wisdom it is not for us to rebel. Pray hand them over to me, Nastasia Petrovna. Hand over whom? the dead peasants. But how could I do that? Quite simply. Sell them to me, and I will give you some money in exchange. But how am I to sell them to you? I scarcely understand what you mean. Am I to dig them up again from the ground? Chichikov perceived that the old lady was altogether at sea, and that he must explain the matter. Wherefore, in a few words, he informed her that the transfer or purchase of the souls in question would take place merely on paper, that the said souls would be listed as still alive. And what good would they be to you? 
asked his hostess, staring at him with her eyes distended. That is my affair. But they are dead souls. Who said they were not? The mere fact of their being dead entails upon you a loss as dead as the souls, for you have to continue paying tax upon them, whereas my plan is to relieve you both of the tax and of the resultant trouble. Now do you understand? And I will not only do as I say, but also hand you over fifteen roubles per soul. Is that clear enough? Yes, but I do not know, said his hostess diffidently. You see, never before have I sold dead souls. Quite so. It would be a surprising thing if you had. But surely you do not think that these dead souls are in the least worth keeping? Oh, no, indeed. Why should they be worth keeping? I'm sure they are not so. The only thing which troubles me is the fact that they are dead. She seems a truly obstinate old woman, was Chichikov's inward comment. Look here, madam, he added aloud. You reason well, but you are simply ruining yourself by continuing to pay the tax upon dead souls as though they were still alive. Oh, good sir, do not speak of it, the lady exclaimed. Three weeks ago I took a hundred and fifty roubles to that assessor, and buttered him up, and— Then you see how it is, do you not? Remember that according to my plan you will never again have to butter up the assessor, seeing that it will be I who will be paying for those peasants. I, not you, for I shall have taken over the dues upon them, and have transferred them to myself as so many bona fide serfs. Do you understand, at last? However, the old lady still communed with herself. She could see that the transaction would be to her advantage, yet it was one of such a novel and unprecedented nature, that she was beginning to fear lest this purchaser of souls intended to cheat her. Certainly he had come from God only knew where, and at the dead of night, too. But, sir, I have never in my life sold dead folk, only living ones. Three years ago I transferred two wenches to Protopopov for a hundred roubles apiece, and he thanked me kindly, for they turned out splendid workers, able to make napkins or anything else. Yes, but with the living we have nothing to do, damn it. I am asking you only about dead folk. Yes, yes, of course. But at the first sight I felt afraid lest I should be incurring a loss, lest you should be wishing to outwit me, good sir. You see, the dead souls are worth rather more than you have offered for them. See here, madam, what a woman it is. How could they be worth more? Think for yourself. They are so much lost to you, so much lost, you understand? Take any worthless, rubbishy article you like, a piece of old rag, for example. That rag will yet fetch its price, for it can be bought for paper-making. But these dead souls are good for nothing at all. Can you name anything that they are good for? True, true, they are good for nothing. But what troubles me is the fact that they are dead. What a blockhead of a creature, said Chichikov to himself, for he was beginning to lose patience. Bless her heart, I may as well be going. She has thrown me into a perfect sweat, the cursed old shrew. He took a handkerchief from his pocket and wiped the perspiration from his brow. Yet he need not have flown into such a passion. More than one respected statesman reveals himself, when confronted with a business matter, to be just such another as Madame Korobotchka, in that, once he has got an idea into his head, there is no getting it out of him. 
you may ply him with daylight clear arguments, yet they will rebound from his brain as an india-rubber ball rebounds from a flagstone. Nevertheless, wiping away the perspiration, Chichikov resolved to try whether he could not bring her back to the road by another path. Madam, he said, either you are declining to understand what I say, or you are talking for the mere sake of talking. If I hand you over some money, fifteen roubles for each soul, do you understand? It is money, not something which can be picked up haphazard on the street. For instance, tell me how much you sold your honey for. For twelve roubles per pood. Ah, then by those words, madam, you have laid a trifling sin upon your soul, for you did not sell the honey for twelve roubles. By the Lord God I did. Well, well, never mind. Honey is only honey. Now, you had collected that stuff, it may be, for a year, and with infinite care and labour. You had fussed after it, you had trotted to and fro, you had duly frozen out the bees, and you had fed them in the cellar throughout the winter. But these dead souls of which I speak are quite another matter. For in this case you have put forth no exertions, it was merely God's will that they should leave the world, and thus decrease the personnel of your establishment. In the former case you received, so you allege, twelve roubles per pood for your labour, but in this case you will receive money for having done nothing at all, nor will you receive twelve roubles per item, but fifteen, and roubles not in silver, but roubles in good paper currency. That these powerful inducements would certainly cause the old woman to yield, Chichikov had not a doubt. True, his hostess replied, but how strangely business comes to me as a widow. Perhaps I had better wait a little longer, seeing that other buyers might come along and I might be able to compare prices. For shame, madam, for shame. Think what you are saying. Who else, I would ask, would care to buy those souls? What use could they be to anyone? If that is so, they might come in useful to me, mused the old woman aloud after which she sat staring at Chichikov with her mouth open, and a face of nervous expectancy as to his possible rejoinder. "'Dead folk useful in a household!' he exclaimed. "'Why, what could you do with them? Set them up on poles to frighten away the sparrows from your garden?' "'The Lord save us! But what things you say!' she ejaculated, crossing herself. "'Well, what could you do with them? By this time they are so much bones and earth.' That is all there is left of them. Their transfer to myself would be on paper only. Come, come, at least give me an answer. Again the old woman communed with herself. What are you thinking of, Nastasia Petrovna? inquired Chichikov. I am thinking that I scarcely know what to do. Perhaps I had better sell you some hemp. What do I want with hemp? Pardon me, but just when I have made to you a different proposal altogether, you begin fussing about hemp. Hemp is hemp, and though I may want some when I next visit you, I should like to know what you have to say to the suggestion under discussion. Well, I think it a very queer bargain. Never have I heard of such a thing. Upon this Chichikov lost all patience, upset his chair, and bid her go to the devil, of which personage even the mere mention terrified her extremely. Do not speak of hemp, I beg you she cried, turning pale. May God rather bless him. Last night was the third night that he has appeared to me in a dream. You see, after saying my prayers, I bethought me of telling my fortune by the cards, 
and God must have sent him as a punishment. He looked so horrible and had horns longer than a bull's. I wonder you don't see scores of devils in your dreams. Merely out of Christian charity he had to come to you to say, I perceive a poor woman going to rack and ruin, and likely soon to stand in danger of want. Well, go to rack and ruin. Yes, you and all your village together. The insults! exclaimed the old woman, glancing at her visitor in terror. I should think so, continued Chichikov. Indeed, I cannot find words to describe you. To say no more about it, you are like a dog in a manger. You don't want to eat the hay yourself, yet you won't let anyone else touch it. All that I am seeking to do is to purchase certain domestic products of yours, for the reason that I have certain government contracts to fulfil. This last he added in passing, and without any ulterior motive, save that it came to him as a happy thought. Nevertheless, the mention of government contracts exercised a powerful influence upon Nastasia Petrovna, and she hastened to say, in a tone that was almost supplicatory, "'Why should you be so angry with me? Had I known you were going to lose your temper in this way, I should never have discussed the matter. No wonder that I lose my temper. An egg too many is no great matter, yet it may prove exceedingly annoying.' "'Well, well, I will let you have the souls for fifteen roubles each. Also, with regard to those contracts, do not forget me. If at any time you should find yourself in need of rye meal, or buckwheat, or groats, or dead meat. No, I shall never forget you, madam, he said, wiping his forehead, where three separate streams of perspiration were trickling down his face. Then he asked her whether in the town she had any acquaintance or agent whom she could empower to complete the transference of the serfs and to carry out whatsoever else might be necessary. Certainly, replied Madame Korobotchka, the son of our archpriest, Father Cyril, himself is a lawyer. Upon that, Chichikov begged her to accord the gentleman in question a power of attorney, while, to save extra trouble, he himself would then and there compose the requisite letter. It would be a fine thing if he were to buy up all my meal and stock for the government, thought Madame to herself. I must encourage him a little. There has been some dolls standing ready since last night, so I will go and tell Fatinia to try a few pancakes. Also it might be well to try him with an egg pie. We make them nicely here, and they do not take long in the making. So she departed to translate her thoughts into action, as well as to supplement the pie with other products of the domestic cuisine, while for his part Chichikov returned to the drawing-room, where he had spent the night, in order to procure from his dispatch-box the necessary writing-paper. The room had now been set in order, the sumptuous feather-bed removed, and a table set before the sofa. Depositing his dispatch-box upon the table, he heaved a gentle sigh, on becoming aware that he was so soaked with perspiration that he might almost have been dipped in a river. Everything, from his shirt to his socks, was dripping. "'May she starve to death, the cursed old Harridan!' he ejaculated after a moment's rest. Then he opened his dispatch-box. "'In passing, I may say that I feel certain that at least some of my readers will be curious to know the contents and the internal arrangements of that receptacle. Why should I not gratify their curiosity?' To begin with, the centre of the box contained a soap-dish, with, disposed around it, six or seven compartments for razors. Next came square partitions for a sand-box, 
and an inkstand, as well as, scooped out in their midst, a hollow of pens, sealing-wax, and anything else that required more room. Lastly, there were all sorts of little divisions, both with and without lids, for articles of a smaller nature, such as visiting-cards, memorial-cards, theatre-tickets, and things which Chichikov had laid by as souvenirs. This portion of the box could be taken out, and below it were both the space for manuscripts and a secret money-box, the latter made to draw out from the side of the receptacle. Chichikov set to work to clean a pen, and then to write. Presently his hostess entered the room. "'What a beautiful box you've got there, my dear sir!' she exclaimed as she took a seat beside him. "'Probably you bought it in Moscow?' "'Yes, in Moscow,' replied Chichikov, without interrupting his writing. "'I thought so. One can get good things there. Three years ago my sister bought me a few pairs of warm shoes for my sons, and they were such excellent articles. To this day my boys wear them. And what nice stamped paper you have!' She peered into the dispatch-box, where, sure enough, there lay a further store of the paper in question. "'Would you mind letting me have a sheet of it?' I'm without any at all, although I shall soon have to be presenting a plea to the land court, and possess not a morsel of paper to write it on. Upon this Chichikov explained that the paper was not the sort proper for the purpose, that it was meant for surf indenturing, and not for the framing of pleas. Nevertheless, to quiet her, he gave her a sheet stamped to the value of a rouble. Next he handed her the letter to sign, and requested in return a list of her peasants. Unfortunately such a list had never been compiled, let alone any copies of it, and the only way in which she knew the peasants' names was by heart. However, he told her to dictate them. Some of the names greatly astonished our hero. So, still more, did the surnames. Indeed, frequently, on hearing the latter, he had to pause before writing them down. Especially did he halt before a certain Peter Savelyev Nelvajai Korito, "'What a string of titles!' involuntarily he ejaculated. To the Christian name of another serf was appended Korovi Kirpich, and to that of a third Koliso Ivan. However, at length the list was compiled, and he caught a deep breath, which latter proceeding caused him to catch also the attractive odour of something fried in fat. "'I beseech you to have a morsel,' murmured his hostess. Chichikov looked up and saw that the table was spread with mushrooms, pies, and other viands. "'Try this freshly made pie, and an egg,' continued Madame. Chichikov did so, and having eaten more than half of what she offered him, praised the pie highly. Indeed, it was a toothsome dish, and after his difficulties and exertions with his hostess, it tasted even better than it might otherwise have done. "'And also a few pancakes,' suggested Madame. For answer, Chichikov folded three together, and having dipped them in melted butter, consigned the lot to his mouth, and then wiped his mouth with a napkin. Twice more was the process repeated, and then he requested his hostess to order the britchka to be got ready. In dispatching Fetinya with the necessary instructions, she ordered her to return with a second batch of hot pancakes. "'Your pancakes are indeed splendid,' said Chichikov applying himself to the second consignment of fried dainties when they had arrived. "'Yes, we make them well here,' replied Madame. 
yet how unfortunate it is that the harvest should have proved so poor as to have prevented me from earning anything on my... But why should you be in such a hurry to depart, good sir? She broke off on seeing Chichikov reach for his cap. The britchka is not yet ready. Then it is being got so, madam, it is being got so, and I shall need a moment or two to pack my things. As you please, dear sir, but do not forget me in connection with those government contracts. No, I have said that never shall I forget you, replied Chichikov as he hurried into the hall. And would you like to buy some lard? continued his hostess, pursuing him. Lard? Oh, certainly, why not? Only, only, I will do so another time. I shall have some ready at about Christmas. Quite so, madam. Then I will buy anything and everything, the lard included. And perhaps you will be wanting also some feathers. I shall be having some for sale about St. Philip's Day. Very well, very well, madam. There, you see, she remarked, as they stepped out onto the veranda. The britchka is not yet ready. But it soon will be, it soon will be. Only direct me to the main road. How might you do that, said madam, to a puzzle a wise man to do so, for in these parts there are so many turnings. However, I will send a girl to guide you. You could find room for her on the box seat, could you not? Yes, of course. Then I will send her. She knows the way thoroughly. Only do not carry her off for good, or any some traders have deprived me of one of my girls. Chichikov reassured his hostess on the point, and Madame plucked up courage enough to scan, first of all, the housekeeper, who happened to be issuing from the storehouse with a bowl of honey, and next a young peasant who happened to be standing at the gates, and while thus engaged she became wholly absorbed in her domestic pursuits. But why pay her so much attention? The widow Korobotchka, Madame Manilov, domestic life, non-domestic life, away with them all! How strangely are things compounded! In a trice may joy turn to sorrow, should one halt long enough over it. In a trice only God can say what ideas may strike one. You may fall even to thinking, after all, did Madame Korobotchka stand so very low in the scale of human perfection? Was there really such a very great gulf between her and Madame Manilov? Between her and the Madame Manilov, whom we have seen entrenched behind the walls of a genteel mansion, in which there were a fine staircase of wrought metal, and a number of rich carpets. The Madame Manilov, who spent most of her time in yawning behind half-read books, and in hoping for a visit from some socially distinguished person, in order that she might display her wit and carefully rehearsed thoughts, thoughts which had been de rigueur in town for a week past, yet which referred not to what was going on in her household or on her estate, both of which properties were at odds and ends, owing to her ignorance of the art of managing them, but to the coming political revolution in France, and the direction in which fashionable Catholicism was supposed to be moving. But away with such things! Why need we speak of them? Yet how comes it that suddenly, into the midst of our careless, frivolous, unthinking moments, there may enter another, and a very different tendency, that the smile may not have left a human face before its owner will have radically changed his or her nature, though not his or her environment, with the result that the face will suddenly become lit with a radiance never before seen there. "'Here is the britchka! Here is the britchka!' exclaimed Chichikov, on perceiving that vehicle slowly advancing. "'Ah, you blockhead!' 
he went on to Selifan, why have you been loitering about? I suppose last night's fumes have not yet left your brain. To this Selifan returned no reply. Good-bye, madam, added the speaker. But where is the girl whom you promised me? Here, Pelagea, called the hostess to a wench of about eleven, who was dressed in home-dyed garments, and could boast of a pair of bare feet which from a distance might almost have been mistaken for boots, so encrusted were they with fresh mire. Here, Pelagea, come and show this gentleman the way. Selifan helped the girl to ascend the box-seat. Placing one foot upon the step by which the gentry mounted, she covered the said step with mud, and then, ascending higher, attained the desired position beside the coachman. Chichikov followed in her wake, causing the britchka to heel over with his weight as he did so, and then settled himself back into his place with an "'All right, good-bye, madam,' as the horses moved away at a trot. Selifan looked gloomy as he drove, but also very attentive to his business. This was invariably his custom when he had committed the fault of getting drunk. Also the horses looked unusually well-groomed. In particular, the collar on one of them had been neatly mended, although hitherto its state of dilapidation had been such as perennially to allow the stuffing to protrude through the leather. The silence preserved was well-nigh complete, Merely flourishing his whip, Selifan spoke to the team no word of instruction, although the skewbald was as ready as usual to listen to conversation of a didactic nature, seeing that at such times the reins hung loosely in the hands of the loquacious driver, and the whip wandered merely as a matter of form over the backs of the troika. This time, however, there could be heard issuing from Selifan's sullen lips only the uniformly unpleasant exclamation, "'Now then, you brutes!' "'Get on with you! Get on with you!' The bay and the assessor, too, felt put out at not hearing themselves called "'My pets!' or "'Good lads!' while, in addition, the skewbald came in for some nasty cuts across his sleek and ample quarters. "'What has put Master out like this?' thought the animal, as it shook its head. "'Heaven knows where he does not keep beating me, across the back and even where I am tenderer still.' "'Yes, he keeps catching the whip in my ears "'and lashing me under the belly.' "'To the right, eh?' snapped Selifan to the girl beside him, "'as he pointed to a rain-soaked road "'which trended away through fresh green fields. "'No, no,' she replied. "'I will show you the road when the time comes.' "'Which way, then?' he asked again, "'when they had proceeded a little further. "'This way,' and she pointed to the road just mentioned. "'Get along with you,' retorted the coachman. "'That does go to the right. "'You don't know your right hand from your left.' "'The weather was fine, but the ground so excessively sodden "'that the wheels of the britchka collected mire "'until they had become caked as with a layer of felt, "'a circumstance which greatly increased the weight of the vehicle "'and prevented it from clearing the neighbouring parishes "'before the afternoon was arrived. "'Also, without the girl's help, the finding of the way would have been impossible, since roads wiggled away in every direction, like crabs released from a net, and, but for the assistance mentioned, Selifan would have found himself left to his own devices. Presently she pointed to a building ahead, with the words, There is the main road. And what is the building? asked Selifan. A tavern, she said. Then we can get along by ourselves, he observed. "'Do you get down and be off home?' 
With that he stopped and helped her to alight, muttering as he did so, Ah, you black-footed creature! Chichikov added a copper groat, and she departed, well pleased with her ride in the gentleman's carriage. End of part one, chapter three.